It's been over a year now since In The Key Of Q launched. In our archive, you can find over 50 interviews of queer musicians from around the world and hear their music from rap Unaware of my proclivities to self-sabotage to country soul and rock. These episodes are available on the main feed. You can access them via the website at inthekeyofq.com or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Dan here. Thanks for downloading this episode. Many thanks to our listeners who are financially supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. You are genuinely helping to keep the series in production and more importantly, to give a space for queer voices to be heard. In this episode, my guest talks about growing up in a trailer park, the American class system and the challenges he faced as a kid near the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. He discusses the importance of logical queer families and the surprising inspiration provided by the COVID pandemic. Why not share your thoughts on today's episode using the hashtag queer music or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. And if you've a moment, please do subscribe, rate and review the show on your podcast provider. All that's left for me to say is enjoy the episode. I'm, I'm making the music that I wanted to listen to growing up. And I think if nobody else likes it, like it's there for me to enjoy. Hello, I'm Dan Hall. When I grew up, I never heard pop songs where men sang about other men and it made me feel invisible. But these days there are plenty of songs where men sing about other men and we can find them in every style imaginable. This podcast is all about finding and sharing this music and speaking with the musicians who create it. Music helps us feel connected, feel heard and know that we are not alone on our queer journey. You're listening to In The Key Of Q. This week's guest hails from Chicago in the United States. In 2018, he released his first long player, Rituals, and then in 2020, a five-track EP called 33. Most recent is his 2021 single titled But A Dream. A big, big welcome to Nick Fan. Nick, hello. Hello, Dan. How are you? I fell through yesterday. Oh, you came calling me. I cried. Is this goodbye? Allowed the time to fly between us. Fifteen-year-old me was a very outgoing, exploratory kid um, growing up in small-town rural Michigan, uh, and I felt pretty ostracized for the most part until I was met my group of art friends at the end of high school and kind of found a community of other like-minded 
queer creative people. Uh, but 15 year old me was looking to get out of that place uh, really badly. And it's really all I could think about moving and trying to, to start my life in a place that was, that I felt comfortable, that was accepting that I could find my place. Uh, and I did not feel that in Michigan at all. And I could feel that I was different from friends and family that, that feeling stuck with me for a long time. And I wasn't able to shed that until I was able to move out on my own. I was always, always listening to music. That was my own little oasis in my headphones. And that, that was my real escape was music. And I, and I think that's what draws me to it now that you can escape to a three minute world. You can create a world in three minutes and, and be in your, in your, in your zone, in your place. A lot of my early childhood influences were kind of the classic gay kid <laughs> faves, uh, Madonna, Cher. I was a really big fan of when I was younger, but it, it seemed it wasn't okay for me to like that. So it kind of had to be a, a little bit of a secret. And I, and I did get some shit from people. Can you remember what it was about Madonna or Cher that, that, that made that escape place that they presented to you so entertaining or so comforting, maybe is a better word. I think I can, I actually think I can explain that pretty well, uh, based on my parents got divorced when I was relatively young, six or seven. And then my mom moved across the country with her family. And so there was, there was a long period growing up where she wasn't around. And I think maybe I was seeking like a maternal female figure that wasn't there in my life and having Madonna's voice there was somehow comforting. Mm -hmm. It's somehow felt like mom was around still. I'm late again today. My path is well ingrained beside the tree line in my mind is growing wilder by the day. Mobile trailer parks or mobile home parks here in the U.S. are sort of a small subdivision neighborhood of prefabricated uh, mobile homes that don't technically, they technically can move, but they don't. And the, the, the connotations that come with that are you're poor. Oh, you live in that trailer park. You know, we lived in the, we lived in the not so nice trailer park, but then there was the nice trailer park with the newer buildings next door. And so I, w I always felt that class consciousness from a very early age. Now that's curious to hear Nick. Because something that we're often told is that there is no class in America, that that's what makes it 
a much better place, say, than the United Kingdom. Would you agree with that? Uh, no, not at all. Um, there's definitely class structure here, but it's sort of veiled in, in a sort of freedom. But there, there is a feeling of you can't escape it. Um, and I still feel that, you know, kind of to this day that there is this class split and you do have the opportunity to, to move up and to do things, but there's a lot of institutionalized things set up to make that hard for you. I was aware of it at a young age, definitely. Um, and even simple things, I remember when, when portable CD players were first on the scene, I wasn't able to afford one yet. And I was embarrassed that I still had a, a cassette tape player that I listened to my music on. So especially as a, as a kid in school, you, 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 you're aware of it, I guess, definitely. And, and they're harsh. and. It takes a while to, it, it takes some growing up to go, oh, that, you know, that didn't matter. But the th things can stick with you for a while until you deal with them internally. That really put a strain on that feeling of isolation and suffocation, because not only was I strug struggling with the identity of being poor or not having what other people had, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't out until I moved out and went to college. And how old would you have been then? Uh, I moved to Chicago when I was 18. And that's when I gave my mom a phone call and told her and I was crying and I had a fight with my boyfriend that had come here at the time. And she just said, I know, I know it's okay. It's okay. And from that moment on my relationship with my mom has grown exponentially. And I, I just needed to hear that from somebody. And I didn't get that from anyone else in my family really. So that was the real, the moment of me blossoming into who I knew I was and who I wanted to be and to just go with it and know that it's okay. What did that feel like immediately in those, in those months after your mother had left? I remember being really, really emotionally distraught for a while after she had moved away. And we were just living with my dad as a single dad. He worked all the time. Um, and it was me and my younger sister and brother. 
Um, and I remember after she moved, we would visit my grandmother's house where she could call long distance. And I would call my mom over and over and over again. And I would talk to her for just a minute. And then I would get upset and cry. And I would feel alone after we hung up. And so I would want to call her back. And I mean, really thinking about it, it was really traumatizing because the rest of my family there didn't, didn't want me to do that. Didn't want me to connect with her. They felt like she had abandoned us. I've dealt with that and reconciled it and have a stronger relationship with my mom than ever before. But it definitely took a lot of deep work and thinking. You sound very much at peace with everything that happened then. It sounds like there's an acknowledgement of it, but there isn't uh, an ongoing carriage resentment. Definitely within creating music and songwriting, I think I use that as a sort of therapy to help deal with these things that I have felt or these feelings that come up. So for those people listening to this podcast who themselves feel like they're, they're carrying these kind of pressures, what would your advice be to, to help survive them and to help leave them behind? I think knowing that it has nothing to do with you um, and knowing that it's temporary, that it could feel like you're going to be in a situation forever. You're going to, it's never going to end. Things are never going to change, but that's the only constant thing in the world is change. And so whatever situation you find yourself in, know that it's temporary and, and that you, you'll come out of it on the other side. I'd have made a different mistake Now I can't even look at your face Replayed about a thousand times I tried to look in the back of my mind I can't believe I had missed every sign I originally wanted to move to New York and once I started looking at prices and apartments and trying to figure out how to move, it seemed like a pretty big operation and I didn't know if I could do it. And so the next best place was Chicago. It was four hours away, big cosmopolitan city, gay friendly, gay neighborhoods. That felt like the perfect place for me to, to try to make it on my own. And I knew I could do it. And I moved here with $200 in my pocket and was like, I'm going to make this happen. What was that like coming into the, coming into Chicago and, and having the, the joy and the terror of thinking, whoa, this is mine now. 
it was so isolating, strangely enough. And I remember the feeling of being downtown around thousands of people on the street and not knowing any of them, feeling like I'm just one little piece in this big puzzle of a city. And it was really, really overwhelming. And it really took me a while to find myself here and to sort of find the other like-minded people. And I think sometimes some of the most terrifying things about cities are their anonymity. But for me, that's why I find a city comforting because I can be anonymous if I want. Uh, but equally, I can see that that can be challenging if it's not something you're used to and that it can be isolating. Yeah, especially with no, no family around, no friends, no connections, no one to reach out to when I'm feeling lonely. And, and when you're 18 and 19, you, you're, you're still a kid. You still don't know who you are and your brain's still developing and you're still figuring things out. I definitely had my fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, By that, I take it you don't mean a book club. Not a book club. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I definitely met, met some guys and... And in a way, kind of found who I was through dating uh, and figuring out who I'm looking for. Lightning strikes through the pouring rain. A flood of memories wash through my brain. And I go through every moment again. Certainly, I think it's easy when one feels lonely to slip into what can sometimes be quite potentially negative behaviors, such as loading up apps, loading up Scruff, and loading up Grinder, and find, certainly speaking from my own personal experience, hooking up with guys, not because you're feeling horny, but because you kind of don't want to be alone. And that can lead to all sorts of intimacy issues. Yeah, definitely. Um... I, I definitely have uh, used that as a way to stave off loneliness and to try to make a connection. And then I feel like with my situation, I would run into someone that I'm comfortable with. Okay, we're dating for a little bit. And then I'm in a, all of a sudden in a relationship for a year going, do I even want to be? Am I doing this just out of comfort for myself? Then I had a, a really great experience in my early mid twenties, living in a roommate situation with some other gay friends and we would have parties. I would have friends over 
And that's what made, started to make me feel like, oh, I have a place here. There are other people around me that aren't going to judge me for anything. And we can just be ourselves and explore sexuality, talk about boys, you know, things that you're not able to do really with straight or heterosexual friends. So what would you say, Nick, to people who go, oh, I don't know why queer people want to have bars or why they need to have, you know, the gay men's running club. Why, why are they ghettoizing themselves like that? Why can't they just mingle with everyone else? And I used to think that as well. Um, but now I find that's, that's what I'm craving. That's, I, I need that sort of like mentorship in a community. I find it exhilarating to see this explosion of queer artists making all sorts of different genres and different things. It's a, it's a really exciting time to be an, a queer artist, I think. And I didn't have that feeling before. That's a, that's a new feeling, I think, within the past couple of years that, that I can not ignore my queer identity, but to actually embrace it and make it a part of my art is so much more fulfilling and so exciting that, that I don't have to hide anything and that that can be out front and it can be a part of me. I was born in the mid eighties. So even in the nineties in the U S it was still, it was still that vibe where you have to kind of keep it low key, keep it secret. A lot of television at that time, um, was seemed really anti-gay, um, gay was the butt of the jokes in a lot of nineties sitcoms and television that I was exposed to. Growing up, I had a lot of influences from 60s and 70s rock and roll from my parents that it always seemed like artists like Elton John and Freddie Mercury, they had to hide that they were gay. They had to hide their identity a bit to, to make it mainstream, to be accepted. And it, it wasn't until, you know, they were established that they felt comfortable to kind of reveal that side to themselves. I think that they made the right move for the time. Um, so I don't give them any, any flack for not coming out straight away. Um, but I do think, and, and they did that. I they do think after a certain point, you do have the responsibility to, to be honest and true with people. So I would have done the same thing if I had started my career in a different era. But today I, I, I'm absolutely embracing that as part of my identity.
I remember one, I think it was an Easter. All the family was over at my grandparents' house and I went to her photocopier. I made flyers for a concert that I was going to do in the basement downstairs later that afternoon. (laughs) And I invited all the family and handed out flyers. And then I essentially did like a lip sync interpretive dance to a Madonna song <laughs> with my and entire... How, how old are you? Uh, 15, 14. Fantastic. <laughs> Gathered the entire family around. I think that's that must have been the point that they were like, I, I think we can rest assured that he's gay. Hey, I remember when I was about the same age, my parents having a party, like a Christmas party with a whole load of friends around. And uh, I lip synced and danced to a Bananarama song called, I think, Nathan Jones. And I learned all the dance off the music video. And then, you know, I'm wondering two years later when I come out to my mum, she's like, I know. And I'm thinking, how do mums always know? And you think, it's because you were dancing to Bananarama two or three years ago in front of her friends. (laughs) (laughs) My family was always really musically talented. Uh, My dad plays guitar. My grandpa plays the accordion. My uncles play guitar. My aunts were in the church choir. And I kind of taught myself a little piano growing up. And when I moved to Chicago, I had pretty limited skills on the piano and I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I got a guitar. I taught myself how to play guitar. I enrolled myself in music courses uh, at a college here. And I took every single music class that I could. Then from that point, I felt comfortable enough to start producing things on my own and ran into a lot of pitfalls and things like that. But I feel like I'm starting to find my voice and my, my ideas are coming out a little easier and more natural now that I've taught myself these skills. For the, Nick, for those of us like me who aren't musicians, I'm hearing a lot of my acts talk about finding their voice and the importance of finding one's voice. Could you explain what, what that feels like? How do, you, how do you go about doing that? And how do you know when you've found your voice instead of thinking, oh, actually, no, I'm just trying to be a cut price Elton John or something. I know it's my voice through my songwriting. And I know I can tell if I'm writing something that feels cliche or maybe trying to buck onto a trend. And it it, it just takes that what they say that it's consistency you have to just keep making i have some terrible terrible stuff that i've made in the past and it's it's those that helped me find what i was trying to do find find your voice and find your sound at the same time uh without being a cut copy of of x y or z disappeared in the clear of the morning Never said goodbye. Well, to 
So it's 2021 now and you've just released a, a new single, But A Dream. Wasn't that a bit of a pain in the ass, making a record during a global pandemic? It wasn't. It was exhilarating to finally push away all of that anxiety and fear from not knowing what's going to happen and what to expect to finally have that creative impulse. And I ended up writing this song pre-pandemic and it kind of sat on my hard drive for a while. And then I just sort of finished it up during the pandemic. And once I went into that, I had this huge creative outburst and wrote and recorded seven new tracks uh, from December until just this past April. And so now I'm going to be releasing them one-on-one, -on -one, one by one as singles um, and eventually culminate them together as an album. It, 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 was, it felt so good to be back in a creative mindset after a year of anxiety. And so do you think music then, still now as, as an adult for you, is a is a place of, of refuge, a place of rescue as well. A rescue. Yeah. Um, and ref yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Cause I certainly believe speaking to so many musicians on here that bad situations like a global pandemic can actually be the best times to make music because you are for, there are fewer distractions. If you're not allowed out of your house, you can't go down to the bar so easily, or you can't, pop down to the store and, and pretend you need to buy a whole load of bleach. In fact, you're, you're very much more stuck in front of your computer and forced to, uh, to come up with something. Yeah. And I think it was a year of being just sick and tired of watching Netflix <laughs> and scrolling the internet that I was like, I got to do something else here. Yeah. It's the same with me. I did a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I see a, and hear a lot of creative people using this time to really follow their passions and what they want to do. I was just having a conversation uh, last night about uh, following, following your, your dreams and your goals and using this time as, if, as efficiently as you can. And, and no shame if you, if you didn't. It, it was a tough time for everyone to, to deal with. I think the one thing that that keeps pushing me is just the need to to create as opposed to consume. And I just I find that I am the happiest when I'm in the middle of a project, when I'm working on something, when I'm playing with ideas. Getting back to what we spoke about originally about the 15 year old Nick. 
What would he think about the music that you make now and the life that you lead now? I think he would be blown away. Um, I'm, I'm still blown away that I'm making what I'm making. It, it, it's, it's so exciting to, to have an inkling of an idea and to, and to see it to fruition and see what happens with it. Um, and so I'm, I'm making the music that I wanted to listen to growing up. And I think if nobody else likes it, like it's there for me to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I used to listen to uh, mixes that I would be working on in my studio and I would take the, the subway downtown and I would just, I would be listening to my own tracks, analyzing them, sitting there on the train thinking nobody else is listening to this music in the world other than me. They don't know that I'm sitting here listening to my own music. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think often we, because we live life each day, we don't quite notice or appreciate what we're achieving. And that's why I like to ask the question about the 15 year old self, because by looking back, it helps us to think, goodness, I really, really achieved a lot. It takes some time until you can have that perspective to look back. These days, these days may break you. Just always know you're right at home. You're never alone. These days, these days may break you. Just always know. Now, Nick, before we wrap up here, what other queer artists are you listening to? Who would you recommend we maybe get onto the show? We just listened to the new queer uh, Friday playlist and found a bunch of uh, really interesting artists. I believe he's Australian or maybe he's from the UK. Uh, His name is Mad Chatta. Oh, wow. Great name. Mad, M-A-D. Yeah, and it's just this really, really out there, strange sort of animal collective-y style, like just really out there kind of fun party music. So he was definitely interesting. And Nick, for those people that have been listening to clips of your music we've been playing throughout this episode, where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple Music, all of the streaming platforms, Nick Van with two A's. Uh, you can find me on my Bandcamp at bandcamp.com slash Nick Van, or you can follow me on Instagram at Nickelodeon without the I. Um, and I'll post, I post updates for new tracks and things like that on there. And you can find all my streaming stuff on all the platforms. And if there was going to be one song that would act as the perfect introduction to the material that you have out already, what would that be? And we will use that for our outro music. That song would be, it's called On a Bike. It's from the EP 33. It was a song that I had written for a very early EP that you can find on Bandcamp if you want to hear the original 
version and see how it changed. But this one is one of my absolute favorite tracks. It's about being that feeling of being free when you're on a bicycle and you feel like you're flying. That's that's what I would lead people toward. There's some really cool stuff where I actually made the beats in that recording with uh, my bike bell and a chain. Oh, so I wonderful. recorded the actual chain of the bike and included that as part of the beat structure. And so there's a lot of really cool elements in that song. And that's one of my favorites. There are days when I feel I've become someone else. Nick, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of In the Key of Q. It's been really great to talk to you. And thank you so much for opening up as well about some subjects that can't necessarily be that easy. So I really appreciate you really opening up to our audience. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Many thanks for listening to this episode with Nick Van. And remember, there's exclusive content over at patreon.com slash in the key of Q. There you can support the show for as little as five US dollars a month. Tell me what you thought about today's episode with Nick. The pod's on social media at in the key of Q or email me direct on podcast at in the key of Q.com. And rate and review the show on your podcast provider. It really helps. Our theme is by Paul Lee Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com and our publicist is Paul Smith at paulwsmith at gmail.com. Many thanks to Kajan Kanther and Murray Lang for their support in making this episode. The show is presented and produced by me, Dan Hall, and made at Pup Media Consultancy. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>